Hey everyone, Pat here. Before we start the show, we'd like to just say that there may be some mild language, so, you know, be warned if you have kids or if you're sensitive to explicit language, and there will be spoilers for Godfather 1, Godfather 2. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be spoilers, so be warned if we mention a movie, we're apt to spoil it, and we hope that that's still okay and you enjoy the show. All right, let's get started. Good evening, or should I say, buona serata. Hello, everyone. Okay, fine. We'll just go with that. <laughs> it's probably safer. I probably butchered the Italian a little bit, but here we are. Uh, hi, listeners. Welcome back to the Movie Mixology Podcast. My name is Pat. I'm Marissa. We are your esteemed hosts here to talk about a movie while enjoying a drink from said movie, and we can enjoy both very, very greatly. Um, yeah, so thank you, first of all. I think that's first thing on the agenda, right? We want to say thank you to everybody who's listened so far, uh, rated the show, told us feedback that's both, you know, really good and, and bad to some extent because that's how we learn and we really do appreciate it, guys. Like, no joke. Yeah, thanks for sticking with us all the way to the second episode. I know, it's been <laughs> a hell of a journey, but... Uh, <laughs> Thank you guys again so much. We hope that we continue to put this stuff out and uh, we'll have ways that you can get in touch with us at the end of the show. Um, but let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. I feel like we need a long time to set up this movie because this is a long, long movie. Uh, what are we talking about this week? So this week we are talking about The Godfather Part 2, a beautiful beautiful film that is three hours and 22 minutes came out in 1974 yeah uh it is directed by francis ford coppola and uh coppola also uh worked on the screenplay with mario puso who wrote the books that the films are based off um but we just want to get started by saying that this movie i mean it's one of i mean some people consider it you know, the best movie of all time. So, of course, we're starting off uh, our second episode with it. No pressure. Right. Um, <laughs> hopefully, we don't disappoint you with our takes. Yeah, um, I don't think so. I think we're going to have some good ones here. And yeah. we're also drinking, uh, for those of you who've never seen the film, uh, a banana daiquiri. Because in the film, when Michael Corleone, the main character, goes to Havana, Cuba, for, like, what, seems like 30, 40 minutes of just him talking with people in white uh, dress jackets. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, enjoys a banana daiquiri with his brother Fredo. Or I think Fredo just gets it. Michael gets club soda. Oh, you're so right. We'll, we'll talk about like how Michael doesn't really drink in this movie. You're so right. Uh, you know, guys, we, we're not movie critics by trade. We're, <laughs> you know, we kind of use flute change and terms interchangeably sometimes. Uh, like last time, I think I was talking about sound design, but really I just harped on the score for a long time. You know, it's stuff like that that, you know, we'll get better at, we promise. But for now, yes, you're absolutely right. Fredo does do the drinking in this movie. 
Um, and Michael <laughs> just kind of sits there menacingly. Yeah. And it's awesome. I mean, <laughs> you and I were talking about this a little bit when we were watching the film, but it's great that such a dark, twisted movie uh, with such dark themes and scenes has a scene where one of the like most humorous looking drinks is like featured kind of prominently, you know? Yeah. Um, in one of the most important scenes in the film that, I mean, a lot of people I think will watch this scene and kind of blink and you miss it. You know, it's one of those scenes where you, it, it kind of develops plot points, you know, but you only really catch its important af- importance after maybe the third or fourth watch because in the scene, um, Fredo, before he orders his drink, is um, about to kind of confess to Michael that he's betrayed him. So Fredo, Michael's brother, is about to confess that. He doesn't end up confessing it, but Michael kind of gets this look on his face where he's like, wait, what was my brother about to say? And that sort of plants the seed for the next couple scenes where um, Fredo gets more and more drunk at different places in Cuba <laughs> and eventually, you know, ends up revealing that he um, he betrayed his brother uh, without purposefully doing it just because he's drunk, you know, and kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> but it's really important. It all This scene with the banana daiquiri sets up, you know, this evening where Fredo just keeps getting more and more drunk and then eventually reveals that he's betrayed his brother, which is a major plot point in the movie because... You know, as we uh, will have to say again that um, we're going to talk about spoilers, right? And if you haven't seen this movie yet, go watch it. Um, yeah, nice, yes, <laughs> nice, nice spoiler spoiler um, warning. Um, we had one at the top, so if yeah. by this point, uh, considering we just spoiled a pretty important point, you should be have seen the movie or just not care. Yeah, and um, so this, but please go watch it. <laughs> yeah, um, this is one of those movies that I would encourage you to like definitely go watch, even if you're not a big movie fan, even if, you know, you just are listening to this podcast because you enjoy like kind of hearing the summaries or hearing about the drinks. This is one of those movies. And of course, the first one too, that I would encourage you to watch. Um, You may be asking, that kind of makes me think about how some people who may be asking, why aren't we doing the first one before this? And really... Um, well, we've got plans for yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Don't you worry, <laughs> your pretty listener heads. We're going to talk about part one eventually. But we just thought that for the first one, you know, we wanted to do something that was kind of unusual and kind of see just how far we can push the limits of our show. And <laughs> I think that if we save part one, which is in some people's minds, um, you know, the better of the two films... Um, we don't talk about part three. Uh, part three is not terrible. No, it's not terrible, but, you know, it has a way higher proportion of Andy Garcia wanting to uh, sleep with his cousin, Sofia yeah. Coppola. It's very it's very Game of Thrones. Like. <laughs> In 1990. <laughs> yeah, about? before the world was ready for yeah. that, I guess. Oh, man. So we still aren't ready for we're it. still not. Why Game of Thrones? But okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, the... The scene that you're talking about is one of the most important ones. And uh, to close out our intro to this movie, before we get into our takes, uh, we're going to talk about, real quick, the banana daiquiri itself. I've got it here in this nice ice-cold cup. Um, Last time, we did an Appletini recipe from a website. This time, I kind of decided to synthesize a couple of different stuff that I saw. Yeah, because, you know, I wanted it to kind of be... Uh, like, you know, like blended, but I also didn't want 
to go all out like the banana daiquiri is in the godfather 2 just because that looked like some fresh fruit that you know it would have taken a long time to grow and cultivate and we don't have any ways to grow we plants do have in a our whole foods here that's about as close as we get to cultivating. exactly yeah so we're not trying to do all that um the recipe that i ended up using was a combination of a few uh and it ended up with one frozen banana one ounce of dark rum we use captain morgan spice uh one ounce of white rum i used havana club añejo blanco a half ounce of banana liqueur, or, well, in this case, I used Drillard banana liqueur. A half ounce of lime juice, a couple of spoonfuls of simple syrup. You blend all of that together and over ice, get it all nice and gooey, kind of like a banana smoothie. Then you pour it in a cup, garnish with whipped cream and a maraschino cherry, and you're in business. We've been enjoying these for like the last hour just because <laughs> they are very very like sludgy yeah it's, <laughs> but in a good way you yeah. know like an icy yeah it's very much like drinking an icy your favorite fruity treat it's very delicious <laughs> but you get you get nice and, and buzzed off it too which is great um yeah and i think it was a great idea for you to freeze the bananas as opposed to just putting in the banana liqueur i think freezing the bananas added a a nice touch to it that made it kind of more like ice creamy <laughs> i agree it was it was pretty sweet uh, literally. Now, we're going to oh, get no. into our last time we didn't really have a name for this segment where we just discuss our top three things that we want to talk about this movie. But starting today on episode two, we are going to call this segment Triple Shot. It's time for Triple Shot. All right, so triple shot. As we did last time on our social network episode, we're going to discuss our first things that come to mind, the three things we want to discuss the most. We want to take our shots quickly. We want to take them as, as you know, <laughs> as best we can. <laughs> but uh, these are all going to be great, I think, because we have some copious notes on this. Um, since I went first last time, Marissa, would you like to be the first shot taker sure so for my first uh shot my first movie take mm -hmm. <laughs> um i'm going to talk about uh what i've already alluded to but it is the length of this movie <laughs> um so i think it's a good thing i think <laughs> the fact that this movie is three hours and 22 minutes is amazing because this is a testament to it or it's a reminder of a time when people could sit through something this long and not, you know, check their phone, not get up to go do social media or whatever. People were expected to go to the movie theaters and watch this and enjoy. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> it you know, has an intermission, right? Halfway through the movie, there is an intermission. So when this was in theaters, people actually could get up just as if this was a play and go to the restroom and stuff. But the reason why I bring this up is because this movie is epic, right? And it, and it builds and builds and builds in this amazing way. And I think that the length is perfect. And I know a lot of people probably, um, you know, I, I bring this up too because recently The Irishman came out and that movie was about three hours, I think. And everybody complained about that. 
Like, I can't tell you how many people, you know, they know I like movies, so they talk to me about it. They're like, oh, yeah, that Irishman, but I just couldn't sit through all of it. It was just, just too long for me. And I, I just wanted to be like, oh, you know, I, I wanted to give them my my real take on like, dude, you're just impatient. Just just watch it. Like, but, wow. um, you know, now, now I'm telling Jeez. all of you, that's my true feelings on it. Um, <laughs> but no, I get it. I get it. Uh, especially Shots our, fired. Especially our generation, we have these tension span of like basically nothing. We can only watch videos if they're less than 20 seconds long. Thank you, TikTok. Um, <laughs> so a movie like this is very daunting for some people. I get it. You know, you might have to take it in chunks. I get it. But I actually think that, yeah, this movie. Can I just say I feel personally attacked? Good. <laughs> good. Uh, everybody needs to. To get, you know, just just put your phone away. Just watch the movie. Just, just watch just, the three hours of some of the best quality filmmaking you could ever hope to watch. Yeah. Just, you know what? If, if you haven't seen this movie yet and you're going to for the first time, you know, why don't you just marathon all three and then, you know, make a day of it. Put your phone away. Escape from the world a little bit. Um, a tall order. Here, here I'm putting my world views on you here about, you know. That is a tall, so tall order. But, um, yeah, this movie... Um, I, I guess I just want to say I appreciate that it's that long and that it keeps you entertained. It keeps you going the whole time. Nowadays, I think something like this, they would make a miniseries. They would make it into a miniseries, like an HBO miniseries. But I think that, and I honestly don't think it can be done anymore, really, these three-hour movies. Um, and when they do try, like I said, people complain about it. But I just really appreciate the fact that this movie is that long. It takes itself... Um, seriously, but also, you know, has some moments of humor that we'll talk about. And it just makes you feel like, you know what, this is the movie experience. This is what I love about movies. And sometimes I feel like we don't really get that anymore, that kind of cinematic experience from movies. And I think the length honestly has something to do with it. So that's the end of my first um, shot. But I'll let you um, go next. No, that yours. was great. I love that. No, I, I completely agree with it, even though I uh, often look at my phone and uh, kind of don't really have that. Really nice haven't noticed. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't really have that attention span that much. I kind of make an exception for films. Because, it is true. You know, I, I do love them a lot. Um, so, yeah, you know, watch all these films, please. Um, unless we say don't. <laughs> uh, so my uh, first shot that I'll be taking is... I want to talk about the restraint of Al Pacino. So it's no secret that I think Al Pacino is probably one of, if not the greatest actors of all time. I mean, the guy just has roles that are so legendary, but like all of them are so, you know, just defined. You know, you can, even though some of them kind of blend together, you can still differentiate them like towards the end of, uh, the 90s you know he starts becoming like kind of a, a yeller <laughs> you know scent of a woman heat any given sunday i mean the guy is just all over the place when it comes to his versatility and this is the same man who's been in the godfather he's been in scarface he's been in serpico he's been in dog day afternoon he's been in jack and jill he's been in all these okay legendary <laughs> roles oh man oh my god jack and jill Yes. All right. And you know what? I think the dude just loves to act and it's it's apparent because he just gets into these roles where you you know not so much anymore obviously but you know in in this movie's particularly I think he's doing one of the most incredible pieces of acting probably like in the 20th century 
Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like that's hyperbolic, but trust me on no, this. It's like it's because of the restraint. So, for example, in the opening scene, um, Pacino is is encountering Pat Hagen or this um, this or not Pat Leary, I believe is his name from Nevada, right? The senator that's like, I don't like your kind. I don't like Italian Americans. You know, some good old fashioned racism, basically, that this man is is dis spewing on our protagonist and he turns around and basically like very just subtly gets up and he's like you're extorting me well here's my offer nothing and just like whispers it right like the uh -huh. dude is just he's restraining this rage that comes out ever so slightly like a couple of times throughout the film particularly when uh in the couple of scenes later he gets there's an assassination attempt against him, right? And his wife. And In my home. Yeah. Oh man. Like when he just starts. Where my family. When he just sleeps. starts exploding like that, it it it's so effective because, and this is probably a good use of the effective adaptation of Puzo's novel in the script. Um, but like those scenes are spaced out so well because you're just like, wow, this man has total control over everything. He's so calm. He's like calculating. And then just explodes. And some of those scenes where he just explodes are some of the most effective in the whole film because and memorable because you're just like, oh my God, this man is like harboring some really hardcore rage, you know? Um, so I just love that. And I think that all of the little tiny details that he's doing, you know, where he's just like kind of hunched over most of the time and he's got this like posture of somebody that is 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 looking to be distant, but still observing every single thing. It's fascinating, man. I completely agree. I think you had mentioned, too, in the scene where Michael's wife basically is telling him that she's going to leave him, Kay, and also that um, she didn't want to have his child. His face contorts in this way where he, he doesn't say anything yet, but his face just gets like it's boiling. It's He's just... Like you yeah. said, his facial expressions in this movie, the restraint that he has in some scenes and not in others, it's just such a performance. And every time you watch it, you catch something new. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. So I don't want to go too much on it. <laughs> I've spoken my piece. Uh, you want to take your second shot? Sure. So something that um, I really also find very interesting about this movie is um, the fact that one of my favorite television actors, <laughs> Dominic Chianese, shout out to <laughs> Uncle Junior from The Sopranos, <laughs> he is in this movie. Johnny Ola. Um, uh, yeah, he plays Johnny Ola, which is a minor but important character because it is through his presence, basically, that Michael finds out that his brother Fredo has been um, betraying him or has betrayed him um and i just i love how uh dominic Chinis, who um is in this movie and then later plays a major character on the sopranos um gets you know some acting from this movie because the sopranos takes so much from this movie in this trilogy oh yeah um and in the sopranos they constantly quote this movie. Um, it's a source of reference. I mean, it's just, there wouldn't be a Sopranos without these movies. Yeah. So I think, I mean, that's basically my second take is how influential these movies are 
Um, and just the fact that Dominic Cheney's is in this movie kind of, you know, reminds me of that. But I think that so many things um, come from this movie, um, so many ideas about, um, you know, how can we betray or how can we portray these deeper themes about, you know, family, about religion, about crime, um, about antiheroes um, in some in a movie that people will actually enjoy and people will will have a legacy uh, for a long time. And I think that so many movies after this kind of modeled the format um, of this movie and we can kind of get into that. Well, I, I, if you don't mind, uh, I'd hate to cut you off, but that's actually my second shot. Right. And that's why <laughs> I think I remember we talked about this. So I, I want you to go into more about the actual way that the movie uh, is split into two parts, because I think that's something that is definitely done in movies after this w- movie that try to replicate it. But um, that specifically is a very interesting component. Oh, yeah. The influence of this movie knows no bounds and in more ways than one. Like, I feel like a lot of the um, the acting and quoting of this movie not only influenced uh, The Sopranos, which is a great show. Totally watch it, by the way. Marathon the whole thing on HBO like we did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, even other, like, gangster movies of, the t- like, coming up in the 90s, you know, Goodfellas, Casino, Mean Streets, like ton of movies right and i just feel like this one kind of set the bar and then people continually tried to do their own take on it and just crime movies in general just i feel like are timeless we're obsessed with crime and we're obsessed with seeing how people can get away with it um kind of twisted but it makes for some fascinating storytelling (laughs) yeah all right let me take my second shot if you don't mind i'm going to discuss the structure of the movie overall you alluded to that i just think that's incredible what Coppola was able to do with this film and it's part of why it's three hours is because it's literally like reading a novel where you're jumping back and forth between times so those of you who don't know this movie takes place both in the beginning of the 20th century and in the middle of the 20th century because you're following the life of Vito Corleone who's Michael Corleone's father and one of the main characters in the first film Godfather 1 um and you follow his life as a boy immigrating to America, coming up into adulthood and becoming a crime boss like over the course of 30, 40 years. Um, and, it, you know, you know it, it takes major points of his life and intersplices them into Michael's story, which takes place in 1959, 1960, and shows how they're like so similar and also shows how the you know you don't have really a choice <laughs> it's crazy like that's a theme of this movie i think is how this life of crime is kind of an inherited thing and you were talking before about how this movie starts with a shot of michael's son like it doesn't start with that actually in the in the first scene but right after we flash forward from Vito's storyline in 19 you know 01 or 1921 yeah. or whatever it is um we go right into the michael storyline but the first shot of the Michael storyline is, is Michael's son, Anthony, taking communion. And it's showing that, you know, it's just you inherit this life, right? Even if you try to, like, make it better, if your parents are trying to, like, keep you from this, there's not no way you're going to be able to keep your kids from this. Yeah, Michael it's literally. It's the sins of the father. Yeah, Michael literally in that first couple scenes, he makes a donation to 
um, a university to a corrupt politician who's accepting the uh, donation in the name of his son. So Michael's making a donation with his dirty money (laughs) in the name of his like six-year-old son. And so it's literally like you said that the boys in this family don't really have a choice about what they're going to end up you know being a part of no not even and like the like i kind of mentioned the symbolism of like how both stories right Vito gunning down this dawn in the middle of a street right it kind of it it symbolizes kind of the end of the first film too you know i think the Vito storyline is so innately tied to the first movie overall there's a lot of things that are like shared apart from the fact that it's the same character right one played by Brando, one played by De Niro, two of the greatest to ever do it. Um, but like the way that he guns down this Don in the street is just so similar to how he himself gets gunned down in a street shopping for fruit in the first movie. It's crazy like how they wanted to show that parallel and they do such a good job of doing it. And another parallel is how Vito assumes power. Basically, he takes that that like respected street position, that crime lord position, by doing something unholy during a holy event. Yeah. And it's exactly like the end of Godfather 1, which, spoilers for Godfather 1, guys. Um, Sorry about that. (laughs) At the end of Godfather 1, of course, is the famous montage where Michael is having his child baptized, and it's a montage of him basically killing all of his enemies having all of his enemies killed in some creative way that can't lead back to him. And in this film, Vito assumes that power when he kills this Don during the the Festa de San Gennaro, which is like a, a holy festival in Italian culture. And it's crazy that that, that that is just, it works so well that you don't even really think about it the first couple of times you watch it. And it really wasn't until this rewatch that that kind of hit me. And it shows that this this film is timeless and the themes of it can resonate not only in the generations of the characters in the film, but like, I think, you know, we can show this movie 20, 50 years from now and it's still going to be effective. Yeah. I think both films really, and the third one too, really hammers home the idea of the irony of this family being so deeply religious Mm -hmm. um, and kind of the struggling with that and a a life of crime. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very interesting. Oh yeah. Godfather three, especially dives head first into the religious aspect of it and for better or worse it, it it's interesting I yeah guess. that's the best thing i can say about it so sorry that took so long but uh that is okay yeah we just love this movie guys. I, mean, <laughs> I know it's hard to so fit good. everything into just three takes or three shots um but that's our job yeah so we're gonna try we're trying we're, we're slipping in a few now you notice i didn't step on the nero corner yeah <laughs> because i know that that is a a, a passion point for you <laughs> Uh, would you like to go ahead and take what I assume is going to be your third and most heartfelt shot? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So um, it's hard. So my uh, last point that I'm going to be talking about is Robert De Niro's performance. And this is something that we always talk about uh, when you and I watch this movie. Um, but, you know, Robert De Niro is my favorite actor. So, of course, like I can't talk about his performance objectively i guess oh you're blushing Um, no (laughs) uh but okay the guy learned italian in order to play this role he also learned um how you know marlo was in the first one taking on his mannerisms taking on his manner of speech 
all of that. You know, you believe that he's Vito Corleone when you watch this movie. Um, I just think that, I don't know. Sure, I, okay. It's probably unfair to say he doesn't get enough credit for this movie. He did win the Oscar. Yeah, so he did get <laughs> some Pacino credit. Pacino didn't, which yeah. is wild. Yeah, that's, it's, that's a shame. Tough um, beat. But I think this is one of uh, De Niro's best performances. Um, and I think that something that I want to encourage all of my, uh, you know, all the peeps out there who maybe have just seen De Niro in his older films, you know, maybe you know, just know, or more recent films, I mean, maybe you just know him from Meet the Parents or... Bad Grandpa. Yeah. I would encourage you to go back, you know, watch some of his um, older stuff, uh, watch Taxi Driver, watch this movie, um, mm-hmm. watch my favorite, Heat, which eventually we'll oh. get to talk about. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know... It's really important. I think you you should do yourself a favor. I, you know, I'm not going to go on and on, but. Yeah, no, Bobby De Niro, absolutely amazing. I love him too, but obviously not as much as you do. But I, I do <laughs> think he absolutely crushes it in this movie. And literally from the first scene where he is, you know, just this like kind of easygoing guy and he's going to, a, you know, attend a play with his neighborhood buddy and you're just like, wow, this guy's very quiet and loves his family. And he seems like a, a good man. All the way up until he's literally stabbing a guy in the stomach and chest and he's taking brutal, revenge man. in the most yeah. brutal thing. Um, I love how he's the... Um, you're rooting for him, though. Yeah, he's a he's a very interesting character. Because like you said, he is kind of silent and reserved. And I think Michael sort of takes after him in that way. And so that's why um, the character, Vito is very, and the way that Pacino plays him is, or sorry, the way that De Niro plays him is very quiet and reserved. And then I think they show, you know, how Michael was basically Corleone, uh, Vito's favorite child. You know, you can kind of tell from the scenes. He had big plans for him. He did. He wanted him to go outside of the life of crime, which we'll we'll probably get into when we talk talk about the last scene here in a minute. But um, I think that, both Al Pacino and Robert De Niro play off of each other's performances, even though they're never in the same scene because they're playing two different timelines. They want to depict this sort of father-son, son-takes-after-father dynamic where even if Michael and Vito seem different in many ways, they actually are very similar. You know, they're very brutal. They'll do whatever they can in the name of, quote, family. But really, you know, a lot of times you question if it's just this internal desire for power and recognition and not really for what they say it is which is for family or if it's kind of a mixture of the two Mm -hmm. um but they both both of these actors um really just do an amazing job of i think yeah playing off of each other's performances in such an interesting way i completely agree yeah no it's it's awesome um the last shot i will take is i love that this movie it so clearly demonstrates that when you are in the life of crime, when you are in this business, right? Like Hyman Roth says to Michael when he's visiting him in Cuba, you know, I don't ask questions because this is the business we chose, the life we chose or whatever he says, right? When you're in this life, you have to contend and reckon with all the time the assumption that you have power only then to have that power like violently and suddenly taken away from you. And that's why this movie is brilliant because Coppola depicts that 
like so many times in the same movie and in just in unique ways every time that's all captivating yeah like there are so many characters in this movie that think they are hot shit basically <laughs> and like wield power like a weapon and then all of a sudden it's just like taken away so fast like the senator that threatened michael in the very first scene later on in the movie is like eating out of michael's palm because michael has leverage on him because his whole mafia family worked and used his resources against this guy to frame him for a murder um both of the dons that Vito kills you know the don fanucci when he kills him uh you know to to kind of gain power originally and uh the the old don that killed his mother and brother um in in sicily both of them thought they had power and one actually became an old man before all of a sudden <laughs> violently and suddenly this man came back for revenge because he held a 40-year grudge yeah it's kind of impressive those grudges though he's like a michael jordan grudge yeah <laughs> he took it personal um <laughs> You know, Frank Pantangeli, who is the most tragic character in the whole movie because he just wants to, like, you know, do right by Michael to some extent. He wants his own power, too, and he wants to, to have, like, a, a life of crime and the luxuries that it affords him. But also, he wants to get revenge on Michael because he thinks he's been double-crossed. You know, there's an important scene where... Um, Frank goes under Michael's orders to make peace with a rival gang family, and then all of a sudden, they, they try to kill him but they're under orders to make it seem like Michael ordered that. And so he flips, becomes an FBI informant, and he's going to testify before Congress when all of a sudden Michael, using some puppet master craftsmanship, you know, it's why the, the symbol of the Godfather is that puppet hand because Michael's always pulling them strings. And he brings his brother in from Italy and he's just like, Oh yeah, I have no, I have no idea about any of these criminal things, and basically lies about <laughs> everything mm -hmm. again. Um, Hyman Roth until the Cuban Revolution. Michael is the only guy who's observant enough to be like this. This whole like business capitalist interest you've got in Cuba, it's not going to last, dude. This communist revolution is going to overpower everything, for better or worse, and you know you got to get out of here. And lastly, I think it's Michael himself. Michael himself, like you alluded to the scene, thinks he is the most powerful, right? Probably rightfully so, because he's the most observant. He's so many chess moves ahead of everybody until he isn't. And it's mm -hmm. because the times that he isn't is because of the family, you know, Fredo betraying him. He didn't see that coming. He knew that he got betrayed. He just didn't know who, because, you know, you can't prepare for everything. And then Later on, he thinks, okay, I've defeated all my enemies. I can go and I can change. And then all of a sudden, his wife is like, no, I got one over on you. I ended up, ha I, you know, you assumed that I had a miscarriage, but I had an abortion because I did not want to bring your child into this life of crime. And Michael, in those moments when he loses that power, it's just like you said, you know, they say they're doing it for family, but is it really though? Because he just gets so explosive in those moments and this rage is just destructive and awful but incredible to watch it it is incredible and that's such a good point like stringing together all those examples of people like losing their power and that idea like just running through this movie it's so interesting because i didn't really think about that before like how just how many people in this movie that happens to mm -hmm. and when michael like you said he finds out that he's been betrayed it is the mo it is kind of 
like humorous to watch because he, um, <laughs> Fredo's holding these banana daiquiris. Yeah. This is like getting uh, wasted. And then they end up going to like a nightclub, which we're not going to get into. But basically, it's like a sex club. They're watching people, you know, oh, yeah. doing stuff on stage. And all the other guys in the group are enjoying the show. And Michael's just like, you know, he's not having it. He doesn't want to be there. And then Fredo says something that reveals in passing. He reveals that he knows Johnny yeah. Ola. Which is, um, for those of you who haven't seen the film, is like a key to Michael that, oh my gosh, my brother has betrayed me. He's working behind my back with Johnny Ola, this character. And, and Hyman and, Roth. And they're in the middle of this like sex club and Michael's just like, his face, you know, starts, <laughs> he's just like, no, no, like what yeah. have you done? And, and he starts, you know, it's like that meme of that guy blinking, right. you know, like, or that gif, I mean. <laughs> Um, it's so funny because, like, you know, the external scene is just wild. But meanwhile, Michael's, like, finding out the most terrible thing that he's ever found out here in the corner. Which is um, a more great restrained acting from yeah. Pacino because, you know, the guy is, like, reeling, but he doesn't, it's, he can't afford to show it. Yeah, it's just blinking and like, staring <laughs> and, and, like. Slightly mouth open. Like, yeah. Oh, shit. It's such a good performance. But, yeah, that's such a great point, man. Oh, um, well, amazing stuff. Uh, you know, you've got great points, too. All thanks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's go on to our final, final segment. Um, you know, the first episode, again, we didn't really have this one defined, but now this is our last segment that we're going to start calling, appropriately enough, Last Call. excited to um, talk about this one because um, in this segment we're going to discuss the endings of movies. So something that um, we, Patrick and I, really like to talk about are why movies end the way they do. Some movies, um, like The French Connection, for example, just end Spoilers. in the middle. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm just going to say it ends in the middle of a scene. Okay. And that was a purposeful choice. Inception, you know, if you've seen that, you know it ends on kind of a cliffhanger note. Some movies end like that with a cliffhanger. Others end in the middle of a scene. Some end with the flashback, which is like this movie, which we're going to get into. Um, others end with a pretty bow. You know, every movie has a purposeful ending. Well, any good movie. And that ending is a choice, right? The director, the screenplay. It, it's a choice by the filmmakers. And also, it tells us a little bit more about the theme of the movie, because without the ending of the movie, we wouldn't really have anything to fully digest. And so that's why, you know, on our last major segment of the podcast, we're going to talk about the ending um, of the movie. And um, we can kind of get into this one. I think this is one of the uh, most famous uh, movie endings. And Go ahead and start talking about it, Patrick. Oh, Let's well, thanks. I, I want to just quickly say, though, that this, I mean, if you really want to, like, harp on it, maybe there's, like, two scenes, right? Two shots, kind of. Okay, the yeah, ending. that's true. But I think that this one kind of blends together. Like, literally, the, the edit from scene to scene is like a bleed crossover where it's, like, one film reel crossing over the other one. So I, yeah. I think it's fair that it, for this particular movie, we can talk about both about both yeah so the the ending quote unquote starts with a flashback scene 
the last flashback scene of the movie. We've been flashing back to see Vito's life um, all the way up through like the late 30s, probably early 40s, whatever, uh, when Michael is just a young boy, right? Then we get this flashback and everybody's around the table of all the actors from The Godfather 1. And, you know, this scene is so good by itself. If you've seen number one, this scene got me like, in my feelings, you know, <laughs> I was all up in it because it's so tragic because this is probably, you're witnessing probably the last time the Corleone family, Sans Vito, is like together and happy, mm-hmm. you know. You've got Sonny, played by James Caan, who, spoilers, dies in the first one brutally. You got Fredo, who we, at the end of this film, is killed on Michael's orders. You've got Connie, who is meeting the man that she's going to marry that's going to be physically abusive and almost kill her, mm-hmm. uh, ironically introduced to her from her brother. And you've got Michael when he's like probably the last moment of his life where he's just like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a young and, and smart up and comer that has, wants nothing to do really with like, you know, this life. This family. Even. This family, exactly, you know. It's so tragic to see them all together and all kind of getting ready to celebrate Vito's birthday. Vito isn't in the scene. Marlon Brando didn't want to come back for the scene. <laughs> and so they kind of just like, he's it's his birthday. Should have got Bobby to just play older. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's. They decide that like this scene takes place while Vito's out shopping. And so it's just the Corleone kids. And it's so good because they discuss how you know, this takes place on December 7th, 1941, the day that Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. And they talk about, you know, or rather they don't want to talk about the war because they're like, why even bring that up for discussion? The soldiers are chumps in Sonny's opinion. And Michael's like, well, I don't think so. And then he's like, jokingly, he's like, well, why don't you just go in and enlist then? And Michael's like, oh, I did. Dropped out of college. I did. Mm-hmm. And the reactions are so varied. Like, you know, Fredo's just like, congratulations, Mike. And Sonny's like, you, you know, calls him names, tries to fight him. He's like mad because this is essentially like uh, a slap to the face of what his father wanted. His father did not want anything remotely dangerous for his son. He wanted him to be educated and be legitimate and be a politician or something. Doesn't end up happening, like at all. Literally, Michael's enlistment, like gets him out into the world. It, it makes him like such a character when he is introduced in like the, the opening part of one, but you kind of see where that all takes place. And then it, it, the scene ends with everybody going off screen, except for Michael, who's like sitting there by himself with a cigarette at this table. Michael has always been an outsider. Exactly. And I think that's like an amazing job that you just sort of like summing up the last scene. And I didn't finish the last part, though. Oh. It fades into just a shot, a zoom shot of his face. Right. And it's like half obscured in darkness. He's still an outsider exactly. by himself. And he's completely alone. And I think that that's one of the themes of the movie that this last scene touches on is the idea that um, you can lose your family. And, and that happens to a lot of people who end up completely alone. Because there is one of my favorite scenes earlier in the movie that ties back to the ending of this movie is when Michael is talking to his mother before she dies. And he's kind of telling her about some of his troubles. And his uh, mom says, well, Michael, don't, you know, kind of don't worry. You can never lose your family. Like he's, she's telling him, don't worry about that. And 
Um, Michael basically says, you know, I don't know, Mom, times are changing. Mm-hmm. Like this is a different time. It's not like the olden days where family was all you had. Yep. Now people are motivated by other things like their own ambition, their own success, their own endeavors outside of family, power, you know. And so I think that that idea um, and the reason why Michael ends up alone, honestly, is because he's isolated his family in his own quest for power, mm, right? And, and his quest for power, ironically, where he says he's doing it all to protect his family. He's doing it all so he can eventually become legitimate, which we all know, like his wife says, amazing performance by Diane Keaton, right? That Gosh, yeah, we didn't even talk about her that much. But well, we didn't she's talk great. about Robert Duvall either. Or just like, oh my gosh, there's so many amazing performances in this. But we should do a part two of the Godfather <laughs> part two. Yeah, just but, kidding. Uh, Kay, his wife, played by Diane Keaton, basically tells him like, "Look, Michael, you've been telling me for years that you're going to take our family and make it legitimate, but that has too late. happened." Yeah, and so I just I love this last like scene. Like you said, it's kind of split into two parts. That really takes that idea home, so to speak, of the idea that Michael has lost his family and that people who, you know, just try to get this sort of unending power end up basically by themselves, alone. And that was kind of a major message, I think, of this movie and the trilogy in general. Yep. Uh, He ends up alone and... Basically, every one of the movies, you know, the last shot of every film is of Michael's somehow, except for the first one. Last shot of the first one is Kay, but um, the second to last shot is is Michael's face. Even the first movie, though, kind of ties in, like you're saying, because the last shot is him just ascending to power. Mm -hmm. You know, he's getting the Godfather ring and he's getting kiss and the door closes and it's like, okay, this is the start of his trajectory. Mm -hmm. And two ends with him reckoning with okay it's lonely at the top yeah and three (laughs) ends with him being what was it all for yeah that's a great way to sum it up yeah well it's a great film series (laughs) and we really implore everybody to go watch them i mean coppola is one of the all-time greats and these are his most signature works if this if we didn't convince you to watch it just think about this for those of you who look at imdb to learn more about movies this movie has a nine out of ten I mean, what movies do you ever see on IMDb that have a nine or above? It's very rare. It's like this movie and, I don't know, maybe... Part one. Part one, yeah. <laughs> that's about it, right? And like, Shawshank for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's a great movie, but it's yeah. not in this... I get what you're saying. Um, but I think I that, do like Shawshank, yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just these movies have like a legacy that kind of puts them over anything else I think in many respects it just because it's not just I mean the amazing story and script which you get from a lot of beautiful movies but just the way this movie is directed the acting everything kind of makes it just it's gonna live on I completely agree and while we finish our last call segment we're going to also finish our drinks on mic so cheers oh man That is some good daiquiri. (laughs) It's delicious. Yes. And that will wrap it up for this week's Movie Mixology. We hope that you guys have enjoyed listening to our second episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. If you want to support the show, please follow us on Twitter at movie underscore mixology or our Instagram slash Facebook pages at MomixPod. That's M-O-M-I-X pod. 
If you have suggestions of films, and remember, we are doing movies where they actually say the name of the drink in the movie, right? They actually have to say it. One of the characters does and it has to be a drink that starts with a letter. <laughs> <laughs> then please don't hesitate to write in at momixpod at gmail.com, M-O-M-I-X-P-O-D at gmail.com for suggestions or requests. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Check us out on Amazon Music or TuneIn if you don't use those other services. And tell your friends because we love this show so far. We hope you guys like it too. And we're always looking for ways to get better. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you very much. And until next week, Chenani.